0: Welcome to Now Appalachian, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works.
1: And now, Appalachian.
0: And hello friends, and we welcome you back inside another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, where we continue to bring you and profile the outstanding authors and publishers that are living in and or writing about Appalachia and the Appalachian region and focusing on how that region uh, is pictured in their work and how the Appalachian region influences and impacts their work. And we have an outstanding author with us once again today on the program, and his name is John Bercher, and he is a writer currently living in the Philadelphia area with his wife and two sons he holds a bachelor's degree in English from the University of Pittsburgh and an MFA in creative writing from the Mountain View Master of Fine Arts program his fiction has appeared on uh, Askaik's books Mondays, um, books Mondays are Murder and Sci-Fi Friday Sci-Fi and he's a contributing writer uh, for WBUR in Boston contributing content to their opinions page Two of his essays published there are on race, identity, and parenting. They were also picked up by National Public Radio or NPR, and he's also appeared on WBUR's Weekend Edition. His nonfiction has also appeared in Entropy Magazine, and you can find him on his website at JohnVercherAuthor.com and on Twitter at J-V-E-R-C-H 75 And we're delighted to have uh, John with us today. We're going to be talking about uh, his new book and uh, how it has been. Uh, coming an author so far. So, John, uh, welcome to uh, Now Appalachia. Great to have you here.
1: Hey, Elliot. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate you having me on the show.
0: So before we get into talking about Three-Fifths, which is just an outstanding book uh, for so many different reasons, I wanted to ask you, um, as any person who follows an author, I've been stalking you for a while on social media, (laughs) and uh, in following you and keeping track with what you've been up to, I noticed that uh, you've been to a lot of places uh, doing readings and signings. Uh, your book has made all kinds of 2019 best lists for uh, thriller and, and crime fiction and other types of uh, publications that you know sort of co- uh, combine and collect all of these uh, end-of-the-year awards, and your book's been featured there a lot. So what has this experience been like for you be, being an author and kind of having that, that true author experience that so many people think about and even dream of? What's that been like <laughs> for you? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, it, it's been... It's. I know it's kind of cliche to say it's been a whirlwind or, or it's been surreal, but I, the, all of those things adequately and accurately describe what it's been like. I, I. Three-fifths was my thesis at my MFA program, so the idea that this would actually see publication, let alone be so widely accepted uh, and, and uh, to have people say such nice things about it, it was went beyond my wildest dreams, let alone being on any list. let alone, uh, having gone into a, you know, a third printing, like none, none of these things <laughs> seemed like they were a possibility. So, uh, I, I'm still just kind of reveling in it, man. It's, it's been incredible.
0: That That's great. And, um, do, do you find yourself, um, as a writer too? uh, getting some of this information or some of these accolades kind of by surprise or, or do you know, these things are coming or, or is it a situation where, you know, you find out you're on a 2019 best of list just sort of out of the blue?
1: Oh, it's completely out of the blue. I got a text from my editor that just, just started with like a, uh, Hey, you might want to see this (laughs) kind of thing. And it was just, yeah, I've, I've, I've been on cloud nine since the, uh, Chicago Tribune thing ever since. I mean, that was last week, and I'm still, I'm still trying to to process it. So, yeah, it's 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 been a lot of fun in that sense too. I mean, everything, nothing has been expected, uh, and and it seems like every week there's been some some new, uh, amazing, incredible thing. So, uh, it's been great.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, your book Three Fifths is a fantastic story, and. We jump right into it early, right from the first page. You get us right into the story. Uh, it's set in 1995 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and it's got kind of a fast and violent start, but we're introduced early on to a character who I love, and that's Bobby Saracino, who is a 22-year-old, and he's the son of a single white mother, and he meets a former, well, a current best friend, former best friend that he hasn't seen in a while named Aaron. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Bobby and kind of his background and kind of what happens when, uh, he sees Aaron again for, for the first time in a while?
1: Well, I I don't want to spoil it for everybody, Elliot, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but sure. So, uh, when Bobby finishes a a shift at work, he comes out to the, the parking lot, uh, with a, with another coworker to see, uh, his best friend after a three year stint in prison, much changed from the person he was before. And I don't want to give away too much about the person that he was before, but the person that he is now is a newly radicalized white supremacist uh, who has no idea that Bobby, while being the, the son of a a single white mother is also the son of a black father that he's never met. And so this closely guarded secret of his um, is tied up in some complications that get revealed later on in the book, but it's also an instant uh, source of tension and separation with the friend that he's been wanting to see for the last three years, because he knows should that secret ever be revealed, there, there could be some problems.
0: Mm-hmm. And we, in this exchange or in this revisit or reconnect that uh, Bobby and Aaron have, another character kind of comes into the story uh, early on, and his name is Marcus Anderson and uh something happens there between Marcus and Aaron and Bobby you know, without giving too much away what is Marcus's role in this relationship because he kind of plays a pivotal role in what happens as we kind of move through uh the remainder of the novel kind of into the, into the second half can you tell us a little bit about Marcus and or who he is and what he's up to
1: yeah Marcus is a is uh we we will find out later is is a student uh but he uh gets into a confrontation with Aaron and Bobby at a local eatery in Pittsburgh, and the results of that confrontation are tragic and the what I, what I took care to have happen in this story was that not only was the outcome of the event tragic but that there were consequences to this um, I think too often we see violence in novels without consequence. And uh, as you pointed out, it's that consequence carries throughout the the rest of the book. Uh, And so in that way, Marcus is quite pivotal. His, His interaction with Aaron and Bobby really becomes the inciting incident for the book and creates a ripple effect for the rest of the novel.
0: And you mentioned, you know, kind of realistic violence and realistic circumstances. And I think your novel has that, but it's so realistic in the way that you bring characters into the story, because it's very natural in terms of how we encounter people every day. And I just wanted to give you an example, or to mention an example and have you kind of give us some context behind that. When there 's a scene later where, where Marcus is transported to the emergency room and we 're introduced to another character named Robert Winston, uh, who we find out is a doctor there and he 's got some problems he 's kind of unhappy uh, in, in his own right, but Winston there encounters other characters while he 's there is uh, you know, doing his duty at the hospital and I, I just really like how, how you bring characters into the story because it 's very natural and very seamless, just like we run into people in real life you know when mm-hmm. we 're at the grocery store, you know, we see somebody in our neighborhood or we see somebody we work with. Or we go to church with or whatever Um, I feel like sometimes in in a lot of fiction especially crime fiction people just kind of drop in out of the sky but you have all these (laughs) characters sort of meeting very naturally as if you know as it occurs in real life or that it could occur in real life I I wanted to ask you about that and and is that more of a plotting aspect in terms of being able to kind of bring those characters in seamlessly or is it something that just just kind of happens as you're drafting that process
1: it's definitely not a plotting uh, device. I think, in terms of the way I work, I, I get a I get a general sense of the scene that I'm writing, and I try to fill in that scene with uh, the dialogue and action as it sort of comes. I, and I feel like that's what makes it more natural. You know, uh, I, I've talked before about writing what I like to read, and and I'm with you. I. I it will pull me out of a narrative if the transition between characters meeting between their, in, in, in their dialogue, if it doesn't feel natural, I I'm, I'm that fourth wall kind of uh, comes up and it's hard for me to, to make that connection. And so um, I do a lot of reading out loud uh, of what I write um, and if it feels stilted or uncomfortable or unnatural, then it, it, I get rid of it.
0: Excellent. I think that's excellent advice too, for anybody that's working on something or thinking about uh, a manuscript in progress or a story in progress to to do that, to read out loud. And if it's not necessary and not moving the story forward or unnatural in some ways, just, just pull it out of there and get rid of
1: it. Yeah. And I had to, I had to learn that advice the hard way too. It took, <laughs> I wish I could say that was my own sage wisdom, but uh, I I had to get comfortable with that process. Um, and, but once I did, it, it was, it, it was a no-brainer that it's something that I had to continue to do.
0: Very good. Um, something else I really liked about your story in your novel and the storytelling in the novel is that we get the story and we get accounts of what's going on here with all of these characters from multiple points of view. And uh, I just wanted to know what kind of made you decide to use that approach as opposed to maybe telling it just through Bobby's perspective or Aaron's perspective or someone else's.
1: So, when I was doing, uh, when I was writing this at, at uh, the Mountain View MFA, one of the books that I was reading was one of our faculty members and an Appalachian writer, uh, Wiley Cash, and uh, I had read uh, a land more kind than home, and I, the way he shifted perspectives, um, points of view had this roller coaster effect that I just absolutely loved. Which was, you know, you see the story from one person's eyes. And they take you to sort of what feels like is going to be this peak of action or peak of the story. And then it drops right back down into the next person's perspective. And then they build you up with their perspective. And then it comes back down again. And that led to, I mean, absolutely heart racing moments when I read that. And I thought, yeah, I, I really like that. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, if I can mimic that as best I can, I, I'm going to. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's been done in other novels obviously as well, but that, that at the time was really influential for me. And and I've always loved that multiple point of view style. Uh, Same would be true for the, uh, the Dragon Tattoo series. Um, You know, Steve Larson does a great job of, of taking you from multiple points of view. Just when you think you're going to get some resolution at the end of a chapter, he takes it away from you and you're, you're into the next thing. So I've always loved that style of writing.
0: So you mentioned Stieg Larson, who's wonderful. Wiley Cash, also uh, wonderful as well. Who are some other writers that have influenced you, or inspire you, or you find yourself going back to their work when you need sort of a, a creative spark?
1: I, I've said this a lot recently, but I, and, and uh, it's even more poignant, I guess, with his uh, recent passing. But I love the work of Ernest Gaines. Uh, you know, he. It's interesting. I've had conversations a lot about. You know what is a crime novel or what is a noir novel and things like that and and I think it's interesting that while you know most would hold his work in kind of a literary canon they they're they in some ways are crime novels. I mean uh, a lesson before dying is certainly revolves around a crime or or the the accusation of a crime a gathering of old men is a classic to me a crime novel um, uh, the tragedy of Brady Sims same way and they' and what I love about them is they're also sort of shorter novels. That um, still tend, can rip your heart out. You know they they don't they 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 are no less effective, and if anything, they're more effective um, because of you know an economy of words and, and phrasing that really get to the heart of the story and to the heart of the reader. Um, and so uh, he's he's a definite standby. Um, I also love Jasmine Ward. Um, I've joked before that I would read her grocery list. I mean, she just is. <laughs> she just she has what I call poetic prose. I mean, the way she the way she crafts sentences and writes is is absolutely phenomenal. Um, uh you know, any of any of the uh, fiction and nonfiction of James Baldwin also a big influence. Obviously, um, I, I the the things that I like to write and read are dealing with uh, themes of social justice, um, and so those those three right off the top of my head. Um, I also a uh, big David Joy fan, um, particularly for the way he writes violence. Um, because again, it's, it's very poetic and in, in its prose, it's, it's brutal, but it's, but it's uh, in some ways beautiful. Um, so I, those, those are just four, I could take the entire half hour probably t- talking about more people, but those, those, are, those are four that really uh, leap to mind.
0: Well, we interviewed David Joy last year here on uh, Now Appalachia when his most recent book came out. And I can't tell you how many writers we've had on since then uh, mm-hmm. that have connections to Appalachia that have said David Joy has inspired them uh, in some way, shape, or form, either through the way that he writes or the way he creates characters or the mm-hmm. his use of violence. I mean, he's just a, a fantastic writer and, and, a, and a great person. And uh, I, I, I'm with you. I think if you want to learn how to do – how to write violence – uh, without it being gory and without it seem seeming like a horror novel or something out of a horror novel, he, mm-hmm. he, he does it. I mean, he's got it uh, down absolutely pat. I want to go back to your book three fifths for just a second. Um, we've just got so many characters uh, that, that, that I love. And we've talked about a couple of them already. Bobby, we've talked about Marcus Anderson. We've talked about Aaron, Winston, uh, Bobby's mom, Isabel also makes an appearance uh, in that scene at the hospital that we were talking about earlier. Who was the most difficult character to create out of all of them? Cause they're <laughs> all so layered and so interesting and so different. Who who was there which one was the most difficult to write or one that you really struggled with trying to, you know, get them positioned or get them fleshed out in a certain way to position them well in the story?
1: I I feel like you're leading me on this one, Elliot, but I, I hands down it was Aaron, um for for a multitude of reasons. Uh the probably the not the least of which would be that I wanted a character with whom it made readers uncomfortable to sympathize um i wanted him to be sympathetic but at the same time i felt a responsibility to not make him too sympathetic um because he's obviously the epitome of uh of the things that i can't stand but um i i wanted to be very careful to not create a villain just for villain's sake and and to not create a caricature um you know the it's it would. It's easier for us to to make caricatures of of people that are that that hold these sort of heinous beliefs. But the truth is that they are they are still people that have families and they're they're people that they care about and they're they're uh, and that makes it harder for us to distance ourselves from them. And so we we make it. So that we do carica- make them caricatures, but um, I didn't feel like that served the story, and I didn't feel like that was true to life if I were to do that with his character. So, um, yeah, it was it was really hard. I had a lot of a lot of uh, times questioning whether or not I wanted to portray him in the ways that I did, because I've even had people say like, "Oh, you know, like Aaron." I really felt bad for Aaron. I'm like, Oh God. uh, Okay. Like, (laughs) like I'm kind of glad to hear that, but at the same time, I'm not really. So uh, yeah, that, that would, he was definitely the toughest. Something else I noted in your
0: book as I was reading and uh, it, it, kind of takes us away from some of the darker aspects of the book is the comic book references which I thought was really really cool and really really great and I, and I like how you just kind of seamlessly work them into conversation or description you know it wasn't like ooh, here's a comic book reference you, you slipped it in very naturally so uh, what, what is it about comic books that that you like so well and uh, how did that work its way into the story as well because I thought that was really a neat feature
1: uh well i mean part of that was maybe that was a little self-serving i'm just a huge comic book geek and and wanted to find a way to to get that into a book i think but but uh, honestly it felt like the most natural way to build a a relationship between uh bobby and aaron that that readers could relate to as well um you know because it because i could relate to it 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 felt natural to me And so uh, I thought it was a fun way to uh, sort of show and not tell uh, in terms of who they were as people, you know, to, it's, you know, especially around that time, uh, especially around the time when I was uh, a kid reading comics, comics weren't as cool as they are now. (laughs) You know, it's, everybody likes the Marvel movies now and everybody likes, well, maybe not everybody likes the DC movies, but, um, you know, it's... It, it wasn't it wasn't as cool to be into them, and so to put them in that time period and have them be such big comic book geeks, I think it sort of lent to the characterization that they were they were already sort of outcasts in their own way, and it's what connected them.
0: Very good so John, I want to know what are you working on next?
1: <laughs> so the next one uh uh a standalone uh it is about a an aging a uh, mixed martial arts fighter who's also a mixed race man um, who is slowly losing. Well, not slowly. He's losing his battle with pugilistic dementia. And, and as a result, it's gotten him in trouble uh, with some of the wrong people. Um, but as he's trying to cope with that situation, he's also dealing with his father uh, going through end stage Alzheimer's and what it's how he's seeing his own future mirrored in his father uh, and uh, beginning to have some revelations about some things that have happened to him and his family as a result of who his father really is.
0: So where are you? Which That, that's a fan, that sounds fantastic. Where are you on the manuscript with that book?
1: Very close. I'm hoping by the end of February to have that uh, ready to submit.
0: Fantastic. That's great. So John in our final moments with you today, if uh, someone wants to get in contact with you to um, talk about uh, your writing career, to talk to you a little bit more about your novel three fifths or just to get in touch with you uh, in any way, how can they do that first? And then secondly, where can they get copies of your book? <laughs>
1: uh, so first uh, probably the best way is go to my website, which is com. super creative title. Um, there's a link to my email there as well. It's Author at gmail.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, jverch 75 uh, and on Facebook, uh, John Author. Uh, as far as the book, you can, uh, I always advise, uh, indiebound.com. You can get them to, uh, order from your local independent bookstore. Um, it's in Barnes and Nobles. You can get it on Amazon. Um, it's not in every Barnes and Nobles, so you have to look. Uh, but and but always check your local bookstore, your local independent bookstore, uh, and if they don't have it, uh, they will order it for you. Sounds great.
0: John Vurcher has been our guest here today on Now Appalachia. We've been talking to him about his writing career and about his outstanding crime novel, Three-Fifths, which is set in 1995 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Gets off to a fantastic sort of a fast, violent start if you like those kinds of stories. But you really need to pick this up. It will leave you reading. You won't be able to put it down. Uh, And it's terrific, John. And congratulations to you for that and, and on that. And as you get your next book published, we'd love to have you back on Now Appalachia to talk about it. So thanks for coming coming on and congratulations.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Thank you.
0: We also want to take a moment as we finish up on this episode of now Appalachia to give a special thanks to our executive producer of now Appalachia and also the executive producer of the authors on the air global radio network. Her name is Pam stack and we appreciate all the support and all the work that she does behind the scenes to make these podcasts operational and possible for you each and every episode, not just now Appalachia podcast, but also all the podcasts that you hear with our author interviews on the authors on the air global radio network. That's going to do it for us this time on now Appalachia. I'm Elliot Parker. Until next time, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope.
1: You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the air global radio network.
0: Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way. Next, stay tuned for more
1: outstanding podcasts from the authors on the air global radio network.